We hope you guys had a great. Let's give these guys a round of applause, man. This worship set this morning is great. And I mean, the way they put, they worked so hard in getting the stage together. And as now we're transitioning into uh, our Christmas season, I just want to say thank you to many people behind the scenes, many people that you will never see on this stage uh, who serve faithfully uh, without a public recognition. And I thank uh, the Lord for them. They've done a tremendous job in transitioning us into the Christmas season. We're excited about this series. I'm excited about this series. The Lord is stirring, uh, has been stirring in my heart uh, for these next four weeks, and we're going to talk about the whole story of Christmas, the whole story of Christmas. I think sometimes with Christmas, we just jump right into you know, the birth narratives. We jump right into you know, the, the, the story that is given to us in Scripture of Bethlehem and the manger, and we sing those songs, and sometimes we kind of miss, you know, what is this all about? Like, why is this such a big deal? Like, what, is it, what does it have to do with? And so what we're going to do over these next four weeks is really kind of back up. We're going to back up and we're going to talk about, okay, what is, why is the birth of Jesus the transition of the world? B.C. and A.D., like, why is this birth, what's changed? We put our timeline on the birth of this child. What is such a big deal about the birth of Jesus? Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn with me to the Christmas passage of Genesis chapter 6. Not usually where you go for Christmas, but Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be looking at four verses of Scripture this morning, verses that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, verses that have to do with the flood. And so there's some things here that we remember even as a kid uh, of Noah and his family. And we got to go back that far. We got to go all the way back, really, to the Garden of Eden, where sin entered into humanity. But we're going to go to Genesis 6. We're going to talk about that in a minute as we look at the whole story of Christmas. Years ago, Amber and I went to, on a date night, to a movie, and it's, it's my top five movie. It's definitely in the top five. The movie Up. Y'all seen the movie Up before, right? It's a Disney movie. The dude puts balloons in his house. He was a balloon maker. Uh, he had the last, like, old house in downtown, and they're building skyscrapers all around him. He didn't want to sell. He didn't want to move. And so he built balloons, right? And, and the, the house lifted up, which I think would be the coolest thing of all time, and he floated around in his house. He didn't realize that Russell was on the front porch. Remember, little Russell was on the front porch. And, and so Russell now goes on this great adventure with them. They meet Doug, the dog. You remember Doug, the dog? I love Doug, the dog. He could speak. You know what I'm saying? He goes, squirrel. Like, I relate to Doug, the dog. Like, that's why on a Sunday morning as I'm preaching, someone might sneeze and I'll say, bless you. Like, that's Doug, the dog. Like, a couple weeks ago, we had someone in a cell phone went off. And I was in the middle of a sermon. And I just started talking to the person about her cell phone. I was like, answer the phone, put it on speaker. They need to hear this message too. Like that's, that's a Doug thing. And so I can relate to Doug. But the beginning will get you. Amber and I went to the movie theater going, okay, we're gonna go see this, this animated movie. And the beginning is like five minutes. They don't speak. It's a montage of, of uh, Carl, Mr. Fredrickson, Carl, and his wife, Ellie. Remember that? Remember that? And so they show these pictures of them meeting as kids, little explorers, right? They show them growing up. Uh, they show them uh, buying a house. But then it like turns on you. Like it shows them losing a pregnancy. Like I'm sitting at the movie theater going, what? I, I came to a Disney movie. What is going on? And then it shows her get sick and it shows her die. I'm sitting there crying in the middle of a movie theater. Like what well, I thought I came to watch a Disney movie and I'm crying in the middle of the movie theater. It's intense. And so the whole point of the movie is she wanted to go to, anyone remember? Paradise Falls. Yeah, Paradise Falls in South America. And so they were going to go to Paradise Falls. And so the whole thing was she's passed away. They're going to fulfill this lifelong dream. Now he and Russell, this little boy, they're going to make their way to Paradise Falls. 
movie it begins with a very intense situation. So a couple years ago, Tristan wanted to watch the movie up. And Tristan's one of those dudes that just talks through the whole movie. Y'all got family members like that that are just asking questions. Like he'll ask me questions through the whole movie. He got that from his mama. And he'll just ask me questions through the whole And I'm like, dude, I don't know. I'm like, just sit there and watch it. And we'll, we'll watch something Star Wars. And he'll ask me a question. My brother's a big Star Wars fan. And I'll say, I don't know. And he'll go, well, I bet Uncle Sean knows. And I'm like, I bet he does. Just be quiet and watch the movie. And so the movie up, I was like, man, that first part's too intense for him. And so we skipped the first part and started watching like 20 minutes into the movie because I'm like, man, he's a sensitive little dude. Like that first part's gonna mess him up. And he was messed up the whole movie. He's like, why do they keep showing that chair? Why do they keep showing this empty chair beside Mr. Fredrickson? Like, what's going on with the chair? Like, what is this? And I'm like, yeah, the wife passed away. And he's like, well, why didn't they show the wife pass away? Anyway, the whole point was, he never got it. He never got it because he didn't see the beginning of the movie. Story of Christmas. If we don't see the beginning, we miss how spectacular and amazing and captivating this story really is. And the world and the church, we fall into this trap. I've known this trap. Can sometimes just jump right to Bethlehem on that starry night and there's shepherds and in a manger, and that's wonderful. The story begins with some hard stuff. Like the story begins with a tragic beginning. In order for us to truly get and celebrate, I believe, the story of Christmas over these next four weeks, this morning's gonna begin with some hard stuff. And there's some hard stuff that we have to read. There's some hard stuff that we have to evaluate in our own lives because the same battle and the same thing that we see here in Genesis 6 is the same thing we deal with today. Take your Bibles and stand with me if you would. Genesis chapter six, we're gonna look at verses five, six, seven, and eight. This morning, we're gonna look at the problem. Next week, we're gonna look at the promise. The following week, we're gonna look at the proclamation. And the final week, we're gonna look at the plan. My dad would be so proud of me with an alliterated outline right there. So four Ps that we're going to look at over these next four weeks. But it begins with a tragic beginning. It begins with some hard stuff. Genesis chapter six, beginning in verse six, or beginning in verse five, the Bible says this. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great upon the earth, and that every intent, notice this passage, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I think verse 6 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And the Lord was sorry that he had made him on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. God cried. He was grieved in his heart. We're going to talk about this. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the, of, of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air. For I am sorry, the Lord says, that I made them. Here it is. Praise God that the movie doesn't end there. Praise God for verse 8. But Noah found grace. But Noah found grace. If you haven't found grace this morning, and there's a reason God brought you here. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the whole story. And Lord, we know that the story still has not ended. And Lord, we're living in it and we're a part of the story. But Lord, we know that the beginning is critical. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, as we celebrate the promise fulfilled, all of the promises of the Old Testament in this one birth, Lord, we pray that we would not miss the whole story. And that we would see ourselves in this this morning. We thank you for your grace. 
Your word tells us, for by grace we are saved. It is not of ourselves. And so, Lord, we thank you that we're not working for it. We thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that we do on the outside. There's no religion to practice. It's submitting to your grace. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came for the purpose of dying. And our Savior rose again. And so this morning we... Worship a risen Savior. Lord, may you search our hearts as we go back to the beginning in this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Like the story of Christmas is a love story. We understand that. Like the story of Christmas is a love story. It's God's love story towards us. And it begins tragically. We know you go back to the Garden of Eden, man, right? You know you go back, and and the Bible says that God created man in his image, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, and he put him in this perfect place, in a place with no sin, a place with no death. Like, they, they, they were there, and yet they chose themselves in the midst of that. Let's look at this passage. Notice what it says in verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he made him on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart, like you have to understand the personal nature of what's happening here. Really, our English language does not do it justice. Like I remember Hebrew in seminary and I had some help from my buddy who would explain to me what was going on, but I was in Hebrew in seminary and it was talking about the word pictures, like the word pictures of the Old Testament that so many times like we read a verse and it's kind of just this surface understanding of what the verse is, but there's a picture, like there's a picture being described. And when you read this verse, like you have to go beyond the pages. Like, you have to understand the depth of this. You have to understand the personal betrayal. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever had someone that that you sacrificed for and loved and and thought would stand with you? They betrayed you? Like, there's a personal feeling that comes with that. Like, it's one thing for a stranger to hurt us. It's one thing for someone that we don't know too well. But it's some, a whole nother thing when it's the person that you've loved the most who betrays you. What was it that grieved the heart of God? Look at what it says down in verse 6. Let's back, I mean, verse 5. Let's back up. Then the Lord saw what? The wickedness of man. And it was great upon the earth, and that every, not most, not some, but that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Like, again, verse 5, you have to understand the graphic nature of this verse, like the, the adjectives that are being used here in the Hebrew language, that the wickedness of man, it wasn't just the wickedness of man, it was that the wickedness of man was great, and that every intent, every intent was evil continually. Like, you don't have to wait too long, right? Like, one generation from Adam and Eve, you have Cain and Abel, and there's murder. Just one generation from the creation of man. You have to understand these words relationally. Like, why was this such an offense against God? I mean, think about it. Why was you, Sometimes we think about God up here and man down here. Let's read some verses. Genesis 1.26 says this, let us, I love that in the Trinity passage, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Listen to this verse, Genesis 2.7. Listen to the personal nature of this verse. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils. The God of this universe breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
That's why what we preach, what we preach, what I preach is not a religion, it's a relationship. And it goes back to this. Like it wasn't some far off God creating man and saying, okay, now do your thing, I'm out here. No, God came down, took the dust of the earth and breathed into the nostrils of man. Like the personal nature of this. Like this is a relationship. And so why was this offense so great? Because God created man for a reason. For one reason, for one purpose. I hear people say all the time, I gotta find my purpose. Now let me, let me explain to you. We were all created for one purpose, to have a relationship with him. We are hardwired for that. You understand that? That's why nothing in this world will satisfy you. That's why you can step out and achieve your greatest dreams, your greatest uh, 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 desires, and it will not fill you. It will still leave you empty because you were hardwired. You were created for something other than that. And it won't fulfill you. It's like drinking salt water. Like it may quench for a minute, but you're going to be thirsty for more after that goes away. And it will go away. God created man for a relationship. We are hardwired to have a relationship with God, the love of God, this Godward way of living was to be the thing that shaped every thought, every motive, every choice, every decision, every word, every action. It would all be shaped, hardwired by the love for God. That's why he created us. This is where obedience comes into play. Like I remember as a youth pastor, I had a student say to me one time, man, I can't, I can't follow Jesus. I can't follow all of those rules. And he missed it. Like, that's why, that's why obedience, like when you think about obedience, obedience is not some legalistic submission to abstract rules. Obedience is rooted in love. It's rooted in the love of God. And because I love God, I love the lawgiver, and therefore I find joy in staying inside his boundaries. I find joy in what he calls me to do. I find joy in serving him. I find joy in pointing to his glory. Why? Because I love him. Every relationship you have is like that. Your marriage, right? You find joy in the other person's joy. You serve them. You sacrifice for them. I mean, that's what the the Bible says. We're called to to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Whoa, what is that? Unconditionally, without merit. But there's joy when you serve them because of their joy. And that's what we were hardwired to do. But according to Genesis 6, something has gone terribly wrong that the wickedness of man was great. He was hardwired to have a relationship with his creator, but now he's doing evil continually. But not just his actions, every thought is evil continually. So here's the question. God has been betrayed by the one he's created, by the one he's poured into. What is it that would separate? What, What is so seductive, so powerful? What kind of love would take a man away from what he was created to do. Well, let's find out. Take your Bibles, go to the New Testament. Paul gives us a hint. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And it's the battle of our hearts today. It's the battle of your heart right here in this moment. Whether you know Jesus or not, this is the battle right now that is raging inside of you. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says this. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live 
for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We talk about lowercase gods in our world. Like, don't have idols in our lives. Don't, don't chase other gods, lowercase g. Let me tell you, what, what is the greatest God in the world that we struggle with, lowercase g? It's the God of self. It's the God of self. The battle that rages between someone who doesn't know the Lord is the God of self. Like, how could I submit? How could I follow? This is my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. What is that? The God of self. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the God of self leads people straight to hell. Even as followers of Christ, that's just the battle, right? It's the God of self. Every day, what do I battle? I battle my outside circumstances, sure. I battle my outside struggles. But you know what I battle more than anything else? I battle me. Battle the God of self. I battle whether or not this day is going to be for me or this day is going to be for the Lord. I battle whether or not I'm going to lay myself down or I'm going to raise myself up. That is the battle that rages right now in all of our hearts. It's the battle of self and God. I heard a pastor say there's one throne. There's one throne in our lives, and either we're sitting on it or the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing in between. And so he says here, right, that it grieved the heart of God. Why? Because man chose themselves. Adam and Eve in the garden, they chose themselves. They chose, hey, you may give us boundaries, but we think we know better than you. Does it sound familiar? You may give us boundaries. You may give us boundaries, but we think better than you. We're smarter than you. I don't have to follow that. I don't have to stay in that lane. This is my life. This is my time. And it's the battle of self. Every sin that is committed in this world as a thread that comes back to self. Why is marriage so hard? Why is it so hard? I remember doing premarital counseling with my father, which got awkward at times, but I remember premarital counseling with my father, and we were walking through things, and, and we read that beautiful passage in Genesis of one flesh, and I'm like, that is so romantic. Like, let's read that at our wedding. Let's have someone read the one flesh verse at the wedding. What I did not realize at the time, that that is the hardest stinking verse in the Bible. Because one flesh in a, in a marriage requires me, who's very independent, me, who's very strong-willed, me, who has my own ideas of life, to lay myself down for my wife. It's the battle that rages in all of us. Every sin, you realize that, is vertical. There's no horizontal sins in the world. Every sin we commit comes back to an offense against God. Every sin that is committed is a battle between us and him. I mean, you think about it, right? Every act of murder comes back to self-love. Every moment of greed, every kind of gossip, every act of disobedience to parents comes back to self-love. Every act of adultery comes back to self-love. Every evil in this world flows back to a love for self. What we find in Genesis 6 is that man has chosen himself. And you want to see the grace of God, the love of God? God had every right in that moment to even say, nope, not even knowing his family. All of you guys, done. We tried this thing, and it didn't go well. I'm going to destroy it all. He had every right as a holy and righteous God to do that. What you find here is grace. You want to see the heart of God, the love of God? Look at the verse that is found there in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Praise God it didn't end in verse 7. Praise God that the story doesn't, praise God that that's not the end of the Bible. So the Lord said, I will destroy man who I'm created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and the birds there, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Praise God that the Bible goes further than Genesis 6, 7. Can I get an amen? Have you ever watched a movie where it ends and you go, that cannot be the ending? You know what I'm talking about? I remember going to Titanic, watching the movie Titanic, and I knew how it was going to end. I had a history. I understood that the boat was going to sink. I got that. But Rose should have let Jack on that door. Let's talk about this for a moment. If he's the love of her life, she's selfish. She had every reason to bring Jack Dawson up on the door, but she stayed on the door and let homeboy sink. Like, that's messed up. That's not love. There's room. Like, they've done studies of how big that door was and the size of these two individuals, and she could have put Jack on that door. She made a bad decision. That was a self-love decision right there. He's the love of your life, and you're going to let him freeze to death? Bring him on the door. At least rotate a little bit from the ocean. And then, can we just keep going for a moment? She continued to make bad decisions. When she became an old lady, she dropped a jewel into the ocean. That could have paid for generations of college. She was a selfish human being. Let me just say that right now. It's a bad ending. Bad ending. She could have helped Jack. She could have helped Jack. But the story doesn't end there, praise God, in God's word. Verse 8 says, but Noah found, say it with me. Say it with me, but Noah found. Ephesians 2 8 says, for by what we are saved, for by it's grace. All of this is grace. All of this is grace. The story is grace. That here was a righteous, loving God that had every reason to say the story's done. He displayed grace. Isn't that our lives? He has every reason to look upon us, to look upon me and go, nope, worthless, wretched. You have chosen yourself 99% of the time. Yet he finds grace. He shows grace. He shows grace. And he says, in spite of you, in spite of you, in spite of you choosing yourself, in spite of you chasing all the shiny objects in the sand and getting there and realizing that it's not going to do for you what you think it's going to do, in spite of those things, I have grace. You remember what happens after the flood. I mean, let's follow this a little bit. If you go to Genesis 9, chapter, eight verse, or chapter uh, 9, verse 8 and 9, God makes a covenant with Noah. Listen to these words. Floods come, two by two, the animals come in. It all recedes, and it says, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant, my promise, with you and with your descendants after. Here, we're going to move into Christmas now. You want some great devotional material? Go to Genesis 10, 11. Just read the genealogy of Noah. That's fun in a setting with people to have people try to pronounce those names that so-and-so begot Begot. When I was a kid, I used to think it said so-and-so forgot. Forgot. It's not forgot. It's begot. That means it's just the genealogy of Noah. You come to Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, and you find a name. And this is the name you find. Then this is the genealogy of, no, generosity, genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram. Recognize that name? Nahor, Haran, Haran begot Lot. The Bible says that God finds faith in this man by the name of Abram. And now he makes a promise, a covenant to him. Listen to this covenant, Genesis 17, 7. And I will establish my covenant between thee and thee and thy, look at this, look at this, seed. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed that after thee throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Not just a covenant, a promise upon the earth, not just a promise that, hey, I'm going to bless you here, an everlasting covenant, a covenant that goes beyond just the earth. 
to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Who is he referring to there? Who is the seed that he's referring to there? Well, here's a verse, Galatians chapter three, verse 16. Paul confirms who he is speaking of. The apostle Paul says this, now to Abraham and his capital S seed where the promise is made, he does not say into lowercase seeds as of many, but as of one and to your capital S seed, who is this seed? Who is, say it with me, Christ. Begins with grace and Noah. Runs through generations a man by the name of Abram. God makes a covenant, changes his name to Abraham. And he makes a promise. By your seed, there will be an everlasting covenant. Not just blessings here upon this earth, but an everlasting covenant. Let's go back to Genesis Jesus is spoken of in the Garden of Eden. Jesus is spoken of to Noah by grace. Jesus is spoken of to Abraham with the seed. But today, the title of the message is the problem. We need to kind of land here for a moment. What's the problem? Look at Genesis 6, verse 5. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart only evil continually. What is the problem? What is your problem? What is my problem? It's a heart problem. Because our actions, our thoughts, it all flows from one place, from our heart. The Bible says that, right? As a man is in his heart, so he will be, right? The Bible says that, that it all comes from here. In the Hebrew language, every time it speaks about the heart, it speaks about the heart being the control center of the human being, the directional system of the human being, that the heart is the core. And whatever controls my heart will then control my words and behavior. And if I am in control of my heart, guess what? My words and behavior will flow. But if Christ has done a heart transplant, if I have a new heart, then guess what? Now my words and behavior changes. Doesn't make me perfect because I still have that sinful nature, but I have a new heart. And we talk about the gospel all the time. And let me just tell you something. None of it matters unless your heart's been changed. You can sing every song you want to sing. You can come to every service you want to come to. If your heart has not been changed, it don't matter. You'll walk out these doors, you'll be the exact same person. You'll walk out these doors, you have the exact same thoughts. And you know what we all flow from? Self, self, self. And so to take inventory this morning, the, the, what's the problem? The, the problem is the heart. And so we have to go back and say, okay, well then who has my heart? At this moment, who has my heart? Am I in control of my heart or is the Lord Jesus Christ in control of my heart? The Bible says, by the fruit, we will be known. You can't hide that. Just spend a week with someone, and you can tell who has their heart. Just take inventory of your last week. Just take inventory of your last week. Let's imagine there was a video camera following you, which is a scary thing, but take inventory of your last week, and it will be decided who has your heart. There's no renovation here. There's no shining or fixing or, or, or trying to, 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 to help what is there. No, there has to be a removal. Has to be a new heart that's given to us. And the Bible says that, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
all things have passed away. Behold, all things will become new. I think of Ezekiel. I think Ezekiel is one of the greatest passages that describes this. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And go jump down to verse 27. I will put my spirit within you, and I will walk with you. And you will walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments, and you will do them. The battle today in this moment is your heart. And I've been there where I've sat in that seat, and I'm like, I don't want to hear a word this dude is saying. You know why? Because I was sitting on the throne of my heart. I've been out there where I'm like, dead, finish. There's a game coming on. There's a wrestling match at 1 o'clock, finish. I grew up in South Carolina watching WWF, and the wrestling would come on at 1, and I'd be a kid out there going, man, dude, we get it, Dad. We understand that the words you're looking for is amen. That never went well when we got home and I told him that. Why? Because I was sitting on the throne of my heart. This is the battle that rages in our marriages. Every issue I have in my marriage is when Heath puts himself first. Every issue I have in my relationships, it doesn't matter. Any horizontal relationships that I have, it all flows back to where am I at vertically. And if I'm leading the show, if I'm leading everything, and if I'm making the calls, guess what? It's only a matter of time because my words and my actions will show that. And that's why Paul says the hardest thing for us to do, and it is the hardest thing for us to do. But when you come to realize the grace of God, the grace of God, as Noah did, when you come to realize what you really deserve and yet what God has done for you, it gives you fuel and motivation. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you, I beg you, why? By the mercies of God. He says, listen, you want some fuel? You want some motivation to take your life and lay it down? Look at the mercies that God has displayed in your life, that you deserve to hell. That you deserve to die and spend eternity burning in hell, like the mercies of God, that by the mercies of God, we run to an altar and we lay ourselves down. We say, Lord Jesus, you came and you died for me and you rose again. I have salvation. I have freedom. I, I want to run to this altar and put Heath down. It is the hardest thing. He says this, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what, a living Sacrifice. What an oxymoron. Doesn't two words that don't go together. Living and sacrifice. What is he saying? That every day there's a throne and there's an altar. And the question is, who's sitting in what place? And he says here what? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That daily when you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, not me, but you. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, not me, but you. But, but Lord, I lay myself down because I've done it my way for a long time. And I know what it's got. So I give up my rights. I give up my rights to me. I give up my dreams, my ambitions. I lay it all down because it's salt water. And I want to find my purpose. You want to find your purpose? You created me to be with you. You created me to know you. You created me to walk with you. You created me to experience things that my mind cannot even possibly imagine for your glory, not for my glory, but for your glory. But the joy that comes in that, that's not going to be found anywhere else. The peace that comes in that is not going to be found anywhere else. But what does it require? Continually, continually going to that altar, consistent sacrifices. You just can't start at seven in the morning and think that yourself is going to stay on the altar because by 11, if you're anything like me, you will rise up. 
And so it's a continual sacrifice. Lord, not me. May I decrease. May I decrease. May I decrease so that you may increase. And the renewing of the mind is God's word. The renewing of the mind is, Lord, get me to truth so that I can change the way I think and see the world and even see my life. It all comes down to this battle of the heart. That's what Genesis 6 is. It's a battle of the heart. When you come to a place of grace, and you see Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you. Let's be real. Every one of us should be running to that altar. Running to that altar. To say, Lord, how could I not what you've done? Listen to me. The story of Christmas is a beautiful story. And I love the carols and I love the movies and I love the lights and all that stuff. But you've got to start at the tragic beginning. Betrayal is what it was. That God breathed into the nostrils of man, created him, gave a partner and said, hey, I made you for me. And man looked at him and said, no, I choose me over you. Isn't that what we do every day? And yet grace, a loving God who had every right to say done. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord with every head bowed and every echo. I immediately, when I look at that verse and I think of the seed of grace, the seed that was promised to Abraham that would run all the way through the Old Testament. I think of this passage in the New Testament in Titus 2, verse 11. It says these words, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What's he talking about? He's talking about Christmas. He's talking about what was displayed to Noah way back in Genesis 6, that that grace would be a person. (laughs) It wouldn't just be some random grace, that it would be a person that would come take our place. What is Christmas? Christmas is a love story, but man, it has a tragic beginning. It began with betrayal. And in spite of humans choosing themselves, God and the faithful found grace. And Titus says, for grace has appeared to all men. We celebrate just a couple of weeks that exact verse, the birth of Jesus, who lived a life that none of us could live, a perfect life, a sinless life, no thought, no deed so that he might be a spotless lamb upon the altar. That sin had to be paid for. Your sin, my sin had to be paid for. God would cease to be holy if it wasn't. And he said, I'll do it. I'll come in the form of a baby, the eternal God of this universe, a helpless baby that has to be fed, that has to be changed. A baby. I'll come from a hard place I'll do the hard things and I'll go to the cross and even as they spit in my face I will still cry out Father forgive them they know not what they do and every day that we put ourselves upon that throne we are spitting in the face of our Savior saying no Thank you, but no thanks.
why choose me? We're here this morning by the grace of God. If you have air in your lungs and blood that's flowing through your heart, you're here by the grace of God. And so I simply ask you this morning, have you personally experienced this grace? Not some abstract thing that we talk about. Have you personally come to a place of recognizing the wickedness that is spoken here in Genesis that is in your own heart, that flows freely in your own heart, that leads to the thoughts and the actions from your own heart? personally come to that place and say, God, I recognize I need a heart transplant. So I ask you to give me a new heart. And I profess faith in this one that we celebrate at Christmas as a baby that grew and died on the I profess faith in Jesus, not a religion, not practicing a religion. It's the last thing I want to do. I place faith in a person and I desire a relationship your word says that you will give me a new heart. Your word says that you will provide and put your spirit in me. I desire that. I desire that. Because I've messed things up. Like I see in Genesis, I've messed things up for too long. I want to lay myself down. You're sitting at home. I ask you the same question, right? I mean, just look at your thoughts and actions. Are you running to or are you running from sin? It's a good indication. Has he given you a new heart? And each day are you laying yourself down so that he might be lifted up? Can we just take inventory this morning? Because we have to begin with the hard stuff before we can truly understand and get to the celebration of what it is at Christmas. Believers in this place. Who's winning in your life? You lay your head down at night and say, nope, it wasn't me today, it was the Lord. Can you? You lay your head on the pillow and say, man, that was all me today. God's grace may captivate us in a way nothing in this world would compare to walking with him. I invite you to stand right where you are as we go to the Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning humbled, humbled, because, Lord, we see ourselves in these passages. Sinners by nature, yes, but sinners by choice, if we're honest with ourselves. And in spite of us, grace is true. So, Lord, we thank you, like Noah, that we find grace in you. And I pray, Lord, for those who far too long have been living with themselves upon the throne, Lord, may by the power of your Holy Spirit, because we can't do it ourselves, and they give up their rights, lay themselves down, faithfully say, I don't know where this road is leading, but I trust the God who I have a relationship with. As we leave this place, Lord, may we not just walk through the motions of Christmas, May we see it for what it is, a tragic beginning, but a great ending. We thank you for the story of Christmas. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. May you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday morning.